Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We are getting further and further along in our year-end Three Martini Lunch award presentations. And today is always a favorite of mine, and I put that in quotes, because we're talking about the mainstream media. The We talk about them a lot. We talk about the sins of omission, the sins of commission, the sins of bias, up and down the line. And there's so many different stories in which this takes place. So today our categories are most overreported story, most underreported story, and the best story of 2022. So, Jim, where do you go with the top of your list on most overreported story of 2022? Greg, when you're putting together a year-end list, there's always a certain amount of recency bias. It's very easy to forget things that happened in January, February, March. So if somebody argues that this was a story that was a really big deal towards the end of the year compared to the rest, I'll agree with it. Look, I'm not going to deny that Elon Musk buying Twitter wasn't a big story. I'm not going to say that Elon Musk isn't a fascinating figure who you can love, you can hate, and who often says things that are thought-provoking, controversial, newsworthy, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a stretch, particularly in November and December, where it just turned into, here's what Elon Musk said today. Here's what Elon Musk is doing today. Here's what Elon Musk had for breakfast today. Uh, I exaggerate slightly on that last one, but it did feel like we ended up with saturation coverage of Elon Musk and every little thing. Some of this is because it seemed like he was kind of making it up as he goes along, figuring out what the rules on Twitter were going to be. But obviously the media loves stories about itself. It loves stories about Twitter because a good portion of the media is on Twitter. And obviously he kind of threatened certain media voices ability to have the audience that they have. And I think they see Twitter as a very big part of both their personal brand and their ability to promote their work. Nonetheless, it felt like every time I turned around and, you know, you go into Mimeo Random in the morning, there would be like, you know, 12 different stories about Elon Musk. He really has become the new villain for the left compared to Donald Trump in the past. And I'm not saying there wasn't news value, but it just felt so overcovered for much of the last few months of the year. Yeah, very much the case. Uh, As soon as he took over Twitter, I feel like Elon Musk almost took on a uh, Trump-type persona, especially among the mainstream media, where no matter what happened, whether it was a hugely controversial statement or action or something very mundane, he's kind of in that category now where no matter what he does, the reaction is 11. And so I don't know if he's temporarily replacing Trump in that regard, uh, whether Trump will come back or whether Ron DeSantis will get in there. But it seems like the media needs somebody to obsess over that they don't like. And with Trump not doing much since his uh, announcement that he's uh, running in 2024, uh, I feel like Elon Musk and and the developments of Twitter have kind of filled that void. And then when uh, you suspend, even temporarily, a few lefty blue checks, well, goodness. Well, that's just like the end of civilization and a free press. I mean, I, I, I can't even believe that the Washington Post was able to publish the next morning. They were so traumatized. So we'll find out where it goes from here. Uh, I assume he's going to hand over the reins day to day to somebody else uh, and, and get back to going into space and stuff. But uh, definitely been uh, uh, consuming most of the headlines over the past couple of months. Good choice. Mine for most overreported is also one that uh, is not the, of the most consequential sort. In fact, mine is incredibly inconsequential, which is why it's overreported. Jim, I don't generally care about the royal family, 
and I really don't care about the guy who's whatever, seventh or eighth in line to a throne that has very little power. So with Harry and Meghan now uh, trying to move out of England, they're in America, they just want their privacy, Jim. But they're writing books, they're doing a podcast, they're doing this whole Netflix documentary. Won't somebody just leave them alone and spend many, many millions of dollars trying to get them to talk? While some people are infuriated by how entitled and grateful they are, which is probably true, uh, I just don't care one way or the other. I thought we fought a war to not care about this. Uh, and so when it doesn't even involve anybody who's even got the mirage of power, who cares? But uh, the, the U.S. media can't get enough of these people. So go away. That is a really good choice, Greg. I, I As of this writing, I don't think I've written about Harry and Meghan, and I don't intend to. I do see other people writing about it and generally being disapproving. And I kind of, I, I sympathize with it. I, from what I've heard about that, you know, Netflix documentary, they just seem like two of the most unself-aware and insufferable and perhaps even dishonest people on earth. But the thing is, is the process of not liking them, Greg, you've started to care about them. And that's, you know, it's like, it's a bit like uh, war games. The only way to win is to not play the game. Exactly. But that's just it. I just want them to go away. I, I mean, yeah. I, I tried it not to get into the the back and forth about you know whether they're horrible people or not, or whether somehow there's been a grievance along the way. I just don't care. But our mainstream media keeps forcing it into our feeds and on our front page. And, uh, you know, because they I think they think they're on the political left, uh, that therefore they have to uh, somehow champion them. I, I don't know what the deal is. But I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, they're not relevant to the American political scene right now, so we can just move on, hopefully. All right, Jim, let's move on now to underreported, because not covering stuff is a way that the media engages in bias as well. So what was the most underreported story of 2022? This is one I, th I thought pretty long and hard about the selection, and I don't like mentioning a story where I could have done more and should have done more to report on this story in the past year, but I think... Uh, I do have to say a bit of a me culpa in this. Hey, remember Afghanistan? <laughs> remember, you know, there was that whole U.S. withdrawal from it. And for, you know, a stretch of the summer of 2021, it was a late summer. It was a very big story. It was a consequential story. And it should have been. And we, you know, we were horrified by it. We were outraged by it. The Biden administration handled it uh, about as badly as it possibly could have. And, you know, I seem like this is going to be a very consequential um, black eye and, and just kind of, you know, enormous scandal. And it's largely disappeared from the news. The Biden administration won the bet in the sense that Americans did stop talking about Afghanistan. As you and I have talked in previous episodes, it did start the turning point for Biden's approval rating. Approval rating. Really, the only time the American people really paid much attention to Afghanistan this year was in August when Ayman al-Zawahiri, the uh, leader of al-Qaeda, the number two guy after Osama bin Laden, was killed in a U.S. drone strike in Kabul. I'm glad to hear that. Good for them. Glad to hear it. Bastard had it coming. But then we went back to ignoring Tal the Taliban's rule. It's every bit as atrocious and barbaric and, and demonic uh, as we expected, the Taliban has not changed. They are not partners in peace. Uh, it remains a disaster for U.S. foreign policy. And because nothing's blowing up Americans at this moment, we're, you know, by and large, it's fallen out of the news cycle. And after doing quite a bit of, you know, talking to some folks who are trying to get people out during uh, the height of the attempted evacuation, uh, I didn't do nearly as much on this as I should have this year. 
Yeah, it's a difficult story, and we certainly talked about it a lot in 2021. But uh, you would see drips and drabs of uh, what the Taliban was doing to just further lock down autocratic control, whether it's, uh, you know, the women can't go to school either up to or after a certain age uh, and just different things that uh, continually clamp down on freedom. You knew it was coming. You just didn't want to see it as quickly as it happened. Uh, But it did. Just knowing that everything could have ended so differently there for so many families, some American citizens, some green card holders, a lot of American uh, allies who were Afghans there uh, is really, really infuriating. Uh, We got a new neighbor in our neighborhood. Uh, They came to the United States uh, before the the fall of Afghanistan, but it's an Afghan family. He had spent time as an interpreter for U.S. forces. Tremendous family. The, The idea that there are people like this family that are stuck behind because we pulled out the rug from underneath them, didn't honor our promises, and the same is true for uh, American green card holders or, or American citizens, is just appalling. It's just one of the biggest reasons that Joe Biden is not respected by the American people right now. Uh, and the fact that uh, they pretended ever since that last plane took off that everything was fine, everything's over, we're never going to talk about this again, just maddening on top of that. As for my underreported, I'm staying in the same region, Jim, and that is the protest of the Iranian, starting with Masa Amini. If you went around and, and pulled people on the street, and generally, you know, those people don't know a lot anyway, but if you pulled the American people and said, who's Masa Amini and what's she known for, I would guess that most people don't know. And that's the fault of the American news media, right? Because she was the person who decided she wasn't going to wear her hijab. The morality police grabbed her. Uh, They took her to prison and she died in police custody. Uh, That was back in September. And since then, there have been protests in city after city after city. Women bravely taking off the hijab, demanding freedoms even beyond that. They want to be a modern society with with actual freedoms and not just uh, living at the whims of the corrupt mullahs who care more about funding terrorism and raking in money into their own coffers as opposed to improving the lives of their own people. And our administration, of course, is more interested in a nuclear deal than actually supporting these uh, protesters in the streets. So the reaction has been very muted. Every once in a while, you'll see a spokesperson at the State Department or maybe even Blinken himself say, well, we want to make sure that people are able to get their messages out. And so we, we want people to be able to freely protest. Well, now they're killing protesters, Jim. They're hanging them. I think they've shot a few of them. I don't remember seeing much of anything from this government about it. And for some reason, because of the the holy grail of this uh, nuclear deal being resurrected, the media is pretending it's not happening for the most part as well. And I don't know where U.S. feminists went, but they're not even on the side of a milk carton these days. It's just amazing how they just shut up when uh, you see people's rights being violated so blatantly right in front of you. That is an excellent choice, Greg. All right, Jim, finally on to the final category for today's session, and that is the best story of 2022. Once again, Greg, it's very easy to say that this has been a rebuilding year for good stories. Um, (laughs) I was very tempted to put the good start for the Jets here, but I suppose I probably should think of something a little more consequential on the uh, world stage. I went down the list and I thought about, you know, if you want to play the most pleasant surprise of the year, midterms were kind of disappointing. You can point to certain results here and there, but I really, I think, you know, the, the terms of like, when we think back to 2022, I think, as I mentioned earlier, the Russian invasion of Ukraine was uh, one of the biggest and most consequential news stories of the year. 
for obvious reasons. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky has been named, you know, the person of the year for time, and I think one of the, and I mentioned Zelensky in my category for best political theater. I think the uh, willingness of the Ukrainians to fight for their country is the best story of the year. And we heard all those stories, the possibility that, you know, the Ukrainians could collapse in three or four days. Look, even with uh, the Russian army being a little outdated in its tactics and its equipment, it still was coming at Ukraine with just massive numbers and massive advantages in terms of uh, air power and sheer number of artillery and the, you know, just legendary brutality of the Russian forces. Uh, as they you know advanced in from the south and from the uh, from the east, and you could understand you know why Ukrainians might look and say you know what let's let them have some provinces. You could see them looking at this and saying if we fight this is going to be messy this is going to be ugly a lot of us aren't going to be here at the end of this story. Um, we saw just a little bit earlier uh, the you know pro U.S. leaders of the Afghan government flee with bags full of money the moment it looked like things were going to get really tough for them. I think a lot of people expected Zelensky to do that. I think a lot of people expected the Ukrainians to back down, to recognize the sheer odds against them. And they said no. And they say they, they'd been preparing. They'd expected this for a while, ever since the Russian occupation of Crimea. And as of this recording, you know, this, this fight is still going on. Now, it's been interesting to watch over the year. I think it's reasonable for Americans to say, we want to help Ukraine, but there's a limit. There's a limit to how much military material we can stand. There's a limit to how much we can financially withstand. I think it's fair to say we'd like Europe, which is a lot closer to this conflict, to be every bit as generous as us and probably even more, considering the stakes of this conflict for them. And if you want to complain about that, I think there's a fair gripe. But I just don't understand how you can look at And I'm not saying Ukraine's a perfect country. I'm not saying they didn't have problems with corruption. I'm not saying they didn't have... You know, all kinds of problems. But when one big country says, we're going to take you over, you're now ours. You don't exist. You know, never mind the fact that you've been independent all this time. You don't exist. You know, as Americans, we do have a right to say, no, we don't like bullies. We don't like people attempting to redraw borders by force. And the fact that Ukrainians are still fighting now after one year and every conceivable, you know, uh, you know, attacks on the power lines, the attack on the nuclear power plant, um, threatens of using nukes. I mean, you know, they've had almost everything thrown their way and they're still fighting. So by that sense, and that sense of inspiration, that is my best news story of the year. Yeah, that's why, uh, you know, Chris Berman used to say when there was a lopsided NFL matchup, that's why they play the games. I mean, if you had, if you, had you know, put money down on, on how long you think the war would last and how it would turn out, uh, despite our best you know, wishes to see Ukraine fend off uh, Russia. I don't think either one of us or most people would have said um, this would still be going on or that would be going as well for the Ukrainians as it is. The cost has been uh, just absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, as the Russians retreat, you see their brutality and their barbarism and just their senseless cruelty. The bravery of the Ukrainian people in, in the face of that is is certainly uh, admirable and certainly a big factor here in 2022. Uh, mine is closer to home. Uh, it's one of the things I mentioned I was politically thankful for back in November. And, Jim, uh, a lot of pro-lifers never thought the day would come. Uh, they they hoped it would, but they probably never thought the numbers were going to be there. But the numbers were there uh, this year. We had the leaked opinion in May, so it was a little bit anticlimactic, but it officially came down in June in Dobbs versus uh, Jackson Women's Health. The justices, by a 5-4 to four decision, not only uh, uh, sided with a 15-week abortion ban, but they also said 
that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided, and it has to go. It obviously um, played a factor then in the ensuing midterms. Perhaps Republicans didn't do as well because of the Democrats motivating voters in response to that. Uh, Some states doing very, very well uh, with pro-life legislation in response to that. Uh, We just found out that in Texas in July of this year, abortions dropped 97 percent. I don't know if uh, that continued in the ensuing months or what it's like in other states uh, that were aggressively pro-life, but uh, I'm sure those numbers will bear themselves out. Other states, which are bluer, uh, went in directions we wouldn't like, like my home state of Michigan. But nonetheless, uh, the court ruled, uh, in addition uh, to the merits of the case uh, out of Mississippi, that this is an issue for the states to decide. And that's the, one of the biggest mistakes that the justices made back in 1973. So while you might like what happens in some states, you're not going to like what happens in others. That's what federalism is about. The states get to make those decisions. And then if you don't like what your state is doing, you can continue to work in that state to try and change the law. So, uh, Jim, from a conservative perspective, a huge uh, tip of the hat to all of those who worked tirelessly for nearly half a century uh, to get this uh, overturned. Sam Alito with the majority opinion. And then, of course, uh, four more justices uh, siding with him on ultimately overturning uh, Roe v. Wade. So we'll see. Um, It doesn't look like the Democrats are going to be able to codify it in the new Congress with Republicans controlling the House. Who knows what might happen uh, two years or more from now. But as for now, uh, a big win for life and a big win for everybody who dedicated so much time and effort to it. Excellent choice. I'm looking back saying, how did I not pick that one, Greg? But you know what? I'm going to say I left that for you. Ah, thank you. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So yeah, any- yeah, that was totally it, and totally me not me, you know, missing and forgetting about one of the biggest and most consequential news stories of the year. <laughs> All right, and we're having so much fun doing these, Jim. We've decided on the fly to add three more categories, which you will see tomorrow on Friday, uh, and then our final installment, which will be Person of the Year, uh, Turncoat of the Year, and Predictions for 2023 will actually be in 2023 since uh, January 2nd is a federal holiday with uh, New Year's falling on the weekend. So just to give you a little roadmap about where we're going from here. In the meantime, he's Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Thank you also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. They're a huge help to us. Also, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Get Jim's brand new book, Gathering Five Storms, and the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Have a terrific Thursday, and join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.